internet, the American dream seems to be alive and well in many places, except America. My name is Matthew Kroll. No comment. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies. This week, in particular, the only podcast about the documentary film from Michael Moore, Where to Invade Next. Now, let's get into that for a second. It's amazing I have a question to begin with after following a statement, but the question (laughs) is, documentary. Do you think this film All right, categorizes we'll, look, we'll as a We'll get into that. Oh, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Let's do some housekeeping. Shahir, you love housekeeping. I do love housekeeping, so if my for, wife will tell you I don't. So for those of you who don't know us, hello. Uh, namaste. Uh, this is our little show about movies where we talk about a film each week for about an hour and sort of break it down for you fine folks and let you know if it's worth your time and or money. Uh, we both kind of come from different backgrounds, don't we, Shahir? Oh, yes, we do. What are those backgrounds? Pray I- tell. Uh, I like long walks in the park, um, holding hands, uh, sunset. No, okay, never mind. Okay, that was a bit. That didn't go very well. I'm just going to let you crash and burn. Oh, God, you suck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am a filmmaker uh, originally from New Zealand, now living in New York City. I tend to be... And this is not my own words, but I hate fun, apparently, says someone sitting across the table from me. Oh, I love how you're trained. <laughs> um, I tend to be a slightly snootier, um, I guess more of the um, esoteric version of uh, film uh, film going. Whereas I embrace fun and love all things ridiculous and, dare I say, marvelous. Uh, and just really enjoy most films that have something awesome to say or show me something truly spectacular um which is fine we're a little bit different and uh listen that's what makes the world go round if you like or dislike our little rambles about movies you can always reach us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or uh, on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod or on our Facebook, uh, where Matt and I will argue vociferously about the Marvel Cinematic Universe for some unknown reason, and we're not going to mention it in this in this one podcast. Let's go back to that first question I asked. Do you think that this is a documentary? Yes. Really? Yes. It's a well. You have to say it's a Michael Moore documentary, right? I don't. I don't. I'm not sure it's a document. I'm, I'm not sure he's documenting as much as he's kind of. He's documenting a lot. I think. I think he's giving us. He's giving us an opinion about with some empirical evidence. Well, fun fact about documentaries and documentary a- filmmaking. Everyone's giving you an opinion. Of course, there's no such thing as objectivity, but I think this one steps slightly further into propaganda more than more than most now. I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Sure. I just I just want to be careful when we use the term documentary well, about when we're referring to this film. This is this is a I would say this is more of a the style is documentary filmmaking. I guess. I mean, I, I'm not going to argue with the propaganda type thing, but mm. to be honest, and this might be me being a little cynical towards everything, mm. all things are propaganda like granted there are different levels and michael moore is known for really pushing his will in his documentaries yeah but i i i don't i think he's just you know what's interesting uh i was gonna say what your feelings of michael moore are but mine are just like i've never minded him but i also know what i'm getting so i prep myself accordingly and he's just never been um ashamed of the propaganda-esque type things he's used he's using propaganda He's using a tool that's normally associated with evil yeah. to try to do something good. Yeah, and that's the thing as well, is that it's it's weird because I, you know, like, 
if you were to argue what side of the Michael Moore argument are you on, I'm always on his side generally. Sure. You know, I, like I'm pretty much. And you've seen all most of his movies. I've seen most of them. I think I've seen pretty much all of them except for a couple of the mo- more recent ones. I've seen half of Capitalism, a love story. Yeah, I did not see that one, but I've seen Roger and Me, Bowling for Columbine, right. uh, Sicko, Sicko uh, uh, Fahrenheit 911. Yep, Fahrenheit 911. Um, and uh, Capitalism Love Story than this. Um, and so what do you what do you generally think about Michael Moore? I think he's important to exist. Yeah. Uh, I think... <laughs> you his, say that about any human being. Uh, no, you really can't. <laughs> um, I, think, I think the fact that he does what he does is overall good. I think he's heavy-handed. Yeah. Uh, but I also have to say he strikes... A, like, if he's making, quote, propaganda, it is aimed straight at my face and working like a charm because until I take a step back from things like that, like, I always really enjoy... The no. films, he does enough humor. Granted, yeah. in this film in particular, I felt like rhetoric was getting a little bit like, okay, I get your joke. Like yeah. something that happens a lot in this movie. There's no spoilers yet, but like he'll set up something really dire and 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 serious, and then musical tones will be like, don 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 don, and then something hilarious will happen because yeah. it's lighthearted. And like I get it, uh, but like I'm over, I'm sort of like over that. Like it's, it's misdirection by not misdirect. I don't know. It just feels forced at this point. Well, the shtick here is that Michael Moore, I mean, I've, I, you could argue that Fahrenheit 911, 911 or whatever you want to call it was really, uh, an attempt to, um, push the world back against the Bush presidency. Sure. Um, oh, he's got a horse in that race. Oh yeah, of course. Um, and horse is a horse, of a course, horse, of course. course. Um, and, I think having seen uh, America go through um, two terms of President Bush and then he, you know, like, and then thankfully um, uh, two terms of President Obama, again, uh, speaking from a left wing perspective here, um, I think more now has more of a stake in examining particular issues that are at the core of American life. Sure. So sicko, the American healthcare system, mm-hmm. capitalism, whether corporatism is the best way to run our lives. Yep. Um, and this one, which is, which I think is interesting, interesting, where to invade next, which looks at America's um, U S foreign policy, uh, but not from the point of view of like, where are we actually invading and what are, what, you know, like whether we should be doing it or not, for example, Iraq, Afghanistan, our interventionist, our in, uh, American interventionist policy, but instead going, asking the question, are we d- fundamentally the, 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 the question that this film is asking is, are we spending enough time fixing fundamental problems instead, instead of, or are we spending more time trying to intervene in areas that almost have no bearing on us? And the shtick here is that more goes to several countries to invade as a one man army to steal the best ideas instead of going to Iraq and stealing oil hashtag, not a conspiracy. Um, he goes to, for example, uh, Finland to look at their education system. Right. Or- so like, yeah. And like, while I like, this is something that's interesting. The the structure that you just described, I really like. It lets him touch on a lot of issues I know he feels that are important to him and to society in general. And it lets us hit a lot of places with a lot of different things. And it it does a good thing that I think a lot of documentaries don't do is it gives a wide range of shit that eventually ties together in a final point, whether you agree or disagree with it. But it it's amazing the basket that it weaves to collect all this stuff. Yeah. Like I was actually very impressed by the end of it. It just tied everything together for me in a nice sort of bow. Tons of ideas that don't always go with each other, but it are basically in the sense of, 
oh, here's a bunch of other things countries do in various societal, you know, touch points that they do better than America. Yeah. And I, I mean, obviously the argument has to be, it has to be pointed out that, that more is, I mean, fundamentally, and we, he acknowledges this as well, is that he is cherry picking from. Iran oh yeah. Well, countries. that's the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think that's inherent, but, but I guess the question is, is that, and again, I'm on his side, but, but I'm on, I, I'm very cautious because the opposition point of view would be, would, would basically try trying to apply certain ideas from other countries into an American situation is probably the wrong approach or it could be, could, could not work for fundamental differences in a, in, in these two countries. True. True, but at the same time, the film does mention this once or twice. All of these sort, or most of these ideals that he does, are actually American ideals that we seem to have forgotten along the way. And I'm not saying that you could take all of the stuff that we're going to talk about and that Michael Moore talks about and just implement it in America and have it work, because you fucking can't. It's an entirely different system for everything. But the fact that the ideas came from us, a lot of them... Yeah, I, I, yeah. Whether they, yeah, fundamentally, you know, ex- in the exact way that he says sure. they came from America is is another question. You know, so I love being here. I love being in America. Um, but there are some fundamental things that I go. America seems to have some things just completely backwards. A lot of things. A lot of sadly. things backwards. And 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 there's this there's this problem that um, American patriotism has embedded itself into, which is that. S- speaking out or questioning seems to imply that you don't love America. And, and I think we need to like immediately step away from that idea and, and, you know, and, and latch onto, you know, the idea that the Supreme court has the, a more perfect union. So every time we develop or question or change or fundamentally alter something, we're trying to create a more perfect union. I just think it's so hilarious when people like, if you detract something, you say like America's not good at this or America's not good at that. People like, Oh, you hate America. It's like, no, if I hated America, I wouldn't be talking about it. Like I wouldn't be dealing with like, it's that fucking zealousy that like, Oh, well you can't fucking have a disagreement about it or you hate it. It's like, who the fuck are like, how is that even a a thought point? But, uh, but there's this weird God, you know, patriotism and all that is hard for me to talk about. I, I've never served in the armed forces. I have not served in government or sort of I've been a, a servant of the nation. I I love America and the things it provides us, but I also see the faults that it has. Uh, so I, it's just weird because I, I never feel as a straight white dude in America. Yeah. I don't feel like I, I don't. I, how do the I put it? The world's not against you. The world's not against me. <laughs> So like, uh, how do I put it? I don't know how to, how to say this. I feel like, and this isn't a, this isn't a, Oh, poor me. It's just, this is sort of what it is. It's like, cause it's totally not poor me. Trust yeah. me. Uh, it's just like, I'm, I, I don't feel like I have the validity to say much because I haven't done anything. Well, it's weird that you cultural, you, like it's country weird. wise. It's weird that you said that, you know, you haven't served in the military and you haven't served in government and therefore, you know, and therefore like patriotism is a hard thing to say. Well, it's hard for me to say, to, to fault people. Like if someone's overseas fighting for us and they say something zealot even like about like, well, that's not American or you're questioning America. 
even though I disagree with them and I think that's wrong, yeah. I do think their opinion, even though I think it's wrong, in a weird way has more validity than me, and than think, mine. And it's really it's really difficult to push back against this idea, but there's this notion that if you're a soldier or you're fighting for America or something like that, then you are a true patriot of this country, and therefore you should be given the priority. And I think it was Bill Burr who said something along this lines. He was like, listen... 10% of the population are assholes. You know, are just douchebags and assholes. Are you telling me that 10% of the military service aren't, aren't assholes? No, and, but, and, but and, they're doing something, They're do, even if 10% are. You're contributing to society as well. And here's the thing is that I think being a patriot doesn't, being a patriot, A, doesn't necessarily mean that you're always on uh, on side of America. It means that you're, 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 you, you're, you love your country or, right. or, and the people in, in it. And you're willing to work towards making that better for those people. Well, something, something interesting that happened with this movie. And that can be just my, that can be tiny. It can be contributing. I feel like I'm a patriot of New Zealand, but, but you know, like I'm, I'm very loosely associated with New Zealand these days and I haven't done much for the country, but New Zealand is in my bones. You know what I mean? So I think it's a, it's a really tricky thing to, 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 to push back against. Um, this idea of patriotism. Yeah. And I think, and I think, but I hope that in the conversation we're about to have in terms of the issues that we think are present in uh, America, um, that, that, you know, that they don't come across as unpatriotic um, and they're, they're, they're reasonable questions. And I think even for, for, if you're not a fan of Michael Moore and his modus operandi of, of, you know, quote unquote documentary filmmaking, you can still see the validity of someone questioning, you know, ask raising these questions without having to push back against it with a blanket, un, you know, blanket remark of unpaid, you know, non-patriotism. Right. Um, so that's kind of where we start the conversation. And, you know, if, if anything, what Michael Moore is great at is enabling us to start the conversation. I mean, I think, you know, the thing is I I've lived in the United States, um, on and off again since the year two, 2000, I went to college here. Then I went back home. In the year 2000. <laughs> um, and what, you know, the thing that struck me immediately when I was here in the year 2000, it's the first issue, uh, that's going to come up. Well, it's actually not in this film, but, but healthcare, <laughs> sure. healthcare. Is, well, he did a whole movie on it. So he I, did a whole movie on it. So it's not fun. It, it is brought up in this, in yeah. this, um, film, but not, not explicitly There's specific moments. Um, so healthcare is something that I just think having come from a country that has some form of universal healthcare that is not perfect by any means but has at least the, the safety net of healthcare for all um, coming to a country, which, which has an entirely privatized system apart from Medicaid and Medicare. The, it just seems entirely back. And the problems that I've run into with the American healthcare system are just problems that I don't think exist in the other world. And I, I, I you know, look, I truly believe the American healthcare system is cruel and unusual. Yeah. Like, it's it is fucked up. It is cruel and unusual to most people. Um, and if you're incapable of deal, like navigating bureaucracy, not having healthcare in America is like a prison sentence. Now, it's not quite the same thing. I'm not, I'm not equating not having healthcare to being in, in prison, but I'm just saying uh, not having American healthcare can be a death sentence or uh, an immediate sign of bankruptcy. I am literally afraid to use my health insurance that I pay 400 and some change for. That's all you pay? Well, I have the dirt. I have the most dirt package that covers nothing. Right. And, and there's, a, there's an interesting point in this film, which is that he talks about how um, 
in America, in, in America, we call, uh, you know, in other countries, they call healthcare part of your tax package. In America, it's a private healthcare deductible, but we don't think of it as a tax. So right. we go, well, we have lower taxes, but we pay like you pay this $400 a month. You wouldn't consider that a tax, but it is. No. Um, so, well, so something that, uh, I think that this, there, I'm going to, I'm going to start with something I, th- you know, we said there's a lot of sort of issues that the, he mm-hmm. basically travels to all these countries to quote, take them over or, or mm-hmm. invade them. Uh, Italy, France, Finland, uh, Slovenia, Germany, Portugal, Portugal, Norway, Tunisia, Tunisia and Iceland. Uh, and eventually a little bit end of them in Berlin back in Germany. Yeah. Um, but like he, so the things he's doing is great. Cause he's taking, he's cherry picking all these great ideas from places. But like the thing I didn't like before we get into more of the actual issues he talks about is the bullshit thing he did with the flag at the end of everyone. Like he's taking the flag and he like puts it down. He's like, I've claimed this. Like I was like, you doing this, I know you're trying to be tongue in cheeky. It doesn't help. It, it doesn't, makes me feel weird about the whole thing. It doesn't help, but he's kind of like, again, he's playing into that shtick that he's been like dealing with throughout this whole, you know, that he will deal with throughout this whole film, which is about the fact that that America has an interventionist policy for most parts of the world. And America also, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, Team America, World Police, um, has this notion of being the world cop. Um, so him, go, you know, look, I get it. I, I know why it bothers you. And it is kind of like after the second or third time, it's silly. Um, but I get the point uh, sure. that he's trying and, to make. And seeing it from that angle, I hate a little less, but it's just like, ugh. But so the first one, Italy, this yeah. idea of paid vacation and paid maternity leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, and the 13th I, month salary, which is basically they break down. They think they have eight weeks off a year mm-hmm. and just paid for by the country and the taxes that they pay so they can go on vacation. And then the, they call it the 13th month. So December, they get basically two salaries so they can afford to go on vacation, even though they're paid during their vacation. It's actually not. Well, it's kind of it is paid. It is. So New Zealand has a similar uh, mandatory uh, paid leave law, which is right. five weeks paid leave, but it's not. There is a contribution made by the government, and then there is a, and then your company pays for it. Sure. So you every for every paycheck you uh, your company pays you, they put aside a fund for your for your vacation gotcha. leave, and then you can get that paid out if you want to as a lump sum, or you can actually take the five weeks off and just get it paid. Yeah. Um. And the thing is, is that it accumulates in most places. It's it's legal by law. It has to accumulate. So if I don't take my five weeks this year. The next year, it becomes 10 weeks. Then the year after that, it becomes 15 weeks. And I and you get into strange situations in New Zealand, for example, where some people have 24 weeks like paid leave owed to them. Wow. And every company has to account for that. So they have to like put aside money. You can't just sort of, oh, shit, I need to pay this dude 24 weeks. You have to like every paycheck put aside a certain amount for that leave. Right. Um, so it's not... When you say it's it's not paid for by the government, but it's mandated by the government, and it's and it's man. If you are operating a business with employees, you have to, you have to have it. And, and they, they, the companies they deal with in this particular film is uh, Lardini and Ducati. Yeah, uh, and the 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 again cherry picking like we you know there course. are labor problems in in Italy. Um, you know, there's pro- productivity issues in Italy, but the, the gin, but two but it, hour lunches when you can drive home and cook. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that sounds amazing to me, but, but you know, like the general, the, the one point, the one takeaway point from this that you should, you should note is that there are only two countries in the world that don't have paid maternity leave, the United States and Papua New Guinea. So even though it's cherry picking from one country that probably has its own problems, 
every country has some form of maternity leave yep. and some form of paid vacation time. Something, and as we go, you'll see this more and more, but something this film does very well, I think, is just illustrate the backwardsness that we've fallen into in this country in a lot of places. Not paid maternity leave. Like, I don't... God, I, you, it's fucking nuts. Well, it, it, it points to some, uh, like a, a bigger fundamental problem, which I think that, that, that Moore is pointing to. And, and if you agree with Moore, um, you will kind of see as a flaw in the American psychology, I guess, uh, which is that America, and I'm saying this as a person who lives here, um, has forgotten what it means to be human. Well, America's forgotten. I mean, they, they actually near the end in, in Finland. Yeah. Uh, is that the place? The last, um, Iceland. 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 Um, they're talking to some people and they basically make the point of how, you know, in a lot of these other countries, it's about we. It's about like the actual country and the community. And in America, it's all about me. It's what I can do. It's like, I, yeah, if uh, you know, you can be anything you want to be in America, but like they make it very, very about you, the individual. Yeah. Where I feel that way a lot of times. Like, I'm just like. It is so weird, but again, going back to straight white man in America sort of thing, like, and I, and I've never had a huge, I'm, I'm predominantly Polish. Like I'm 50% and then I'm sort of a mutt for the other half. Yeah. Uh, my ancestors loved fucking, uh, but <laughs> the, uh, other people, yeah. um, but, uh, I don't have a strong cultural relationship or, or, with or like Polish with the Polish culture, any culture really. And like, I've always felt a little left out by that, which is fine. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just sort of interesting because take that. I have no religious or sort of historical uh, identity and then pump that into a culture. That's all that's basically designed to make you self-serving or like mm -hmm. to make you, you're yeah. a number one Duke of New York. So it's like, I, I it's lonely and it and it and it's and it's very interesting because you see in all of these places that more visits that there's again it's cherry community. picking but there's community and even people that aren't natively from these places that live there like want to help these communities it's it's people helping people not because they have to and I, I do think altruism isn't real I'll say that straight up but yep. they realize because it just makes fucking sense that if you keep most people happy and comfortable enough, it will be better for everyone. And, and, and it's something that I feel like America never really got. Well, I think, I think it comes down to that, uh, that them versus, you know, I versus we kind sure. of thing, which is that if I can, you know, create a situation for myself that allows me to take as much vacation time as I want, I can be rich, wealthy and do, do whatever I want to do. Then that's all that's important. Whereas I think, the the opposite philosophy is that if we can and it's interesting it, it comes down to to the fundamental principles of capitalism and classism you know middle class versus versus owner class and and the upper class and the management class um, and you know like in America we have come to this idea that the management class you know like this idea that there's the trickle down effect uh, if the management class does well then everybody else does well whereas the opposite idea is is that if we can somehow not create an owner class that is so divided from the middle class. Um, you see that in France as well. Where they, uh, in, Germany. In, uh, With 50% uh, of the workers are on corporate boards. 50% of the workers are on corporate boards, but also in the cases of, uh, of schools in France where, where, um, oh no, it was, it was in, uh, no, Finland, Finland, sorry, yeah. uh, where, where they're 
all schools are equal. As it's illegal to have an actual paid private school for the most part, they said. Yeah, exactly. I think vocationally there's a difference, but like, yeah, uh, yeah because so they, the idea is, is that poor, poorer students will be alongside richer students and and the problem and they'll that, have friends they'll intermingle and then that way when they grow up they're the richer people are gonna feel worse as they should about <laughs> fucking over no, poor no, people I, no i well i don't think it's that um about feeling worse i think fundamentally what happens is is that if you don't have that um it's basically reintegration of of a segregated of economic, if you don't have that, we're saying the same thing. It's like when you, when you finally see people as people and not as us or them, like when you're all together, I, I mean, this is kind of, this is something I can relate to, I guess, because in my, I I grew up in Amherst, New Hampshire, which is a very affluent place. The it's, it's, it's rich for the most part. I was one of two or three families that absolutely mm-hmm. wasn't. And my parents decided to just work their asses off because they knew the school system was good. Yeah. Uh, but so I grew up low to middle class and most of my friends mm-hmm. were pretty loaded. Yeah. So it was, I, I saw this sort of in a way and I, 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 I it's just interesting how I, there'd be certain situations. I remember when I was younger they'd come to my house for the first time and they wouldn't understand yeah. like, and it's not like I was living in squalor, but like, yeah, it, it, I, it's helpful overall for everyone in walks of life to see the different socioeconomical like ranges. So you realize, Oh yeah, these aren't just like 50 workers at my plant. These are 50 people. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, like uh, the, the, the other point I wanted to make there was that, is that if, if the economically wealthy are forced to 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 integrate within uh, a pluralistic society, then those who are more economically wealthy have an incentive to elevate the standard of living and sure. the standard of education around them because it and and inherently it what benefits them benefits everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something I feel like and this movie points it out in a very propagandic way. Yeah. Uh, but it's something that America either lost or never quite had. I mean, look, when you have to go to the, uh, and I'm, cause I'm a parent now, um, to go to the, the good schools cost you this much money to go to a, a not so good cost you this much money. You know, when you are forced to make it an economic decision, which it often is, yeah. it's the same with your healthcare, for example, to have, you know, comfortable healthcare costs you this much money to have dirt healthcare where you're afraid of, you know, like, you know, tripping over the carpet. Um, you know, that is an economic reality that I think America has just divided itself upon. If you're interested in this topic, the, the famous, um, book that came out in 2013, uh, it's an economics text, uh, capital in the 21st century by Thomas Piketty really goes into this with a lot of empirical evidence. So I think if you're watching where to invade next as your starting point, uh, try uh, the the next point if you want some empirical data and actual hard economic data about this is Thomas Piketty's book Capital in Twenty First Century, and the basic idea there is that uh, if the re- the return on capital, so people who are investing money, mm-hmm. is much higher than the overall economic growth of a community, then there will be inherent wealth inequality. Um, so the idea is that if if you can invest money but the society around you doesn't grow, uh, then then you will create this division uh, between those who create money and will keep it and won't distribute it down 
to uh, and you know the the wealth inequality will will rise right um and and i think you know we saw this um the fun i think you know like there's a there's an idea that's taken hold in american politics um that you see mainly on the republican side which is this idea of small government um this idea that that you know businesses can take can make economic decisions better than the government can we don't want our government in our healthcare we don't want our government telling our doctors what to do um, but fundamentally that require, you know, like I think even Alan, uh, uh, Glenn Green, uh, Alan Greenspan, the, the former yep. uh, U S uh, treasury secretary, uh, you know, pointed out, he, he was questioned on this and he realized that there was an inherent flaw to this idea that, that the, you know, the markets will correct everything. And he said, he, what he didn't realize is that this trickle down effect is just bullshit. You know, like if people make money. They don't distribute it in a way that is that is meaningful amongst their community. They keep it intergenerationally. And so it stays within that community. And what happens is, is that family or community or whatever stays wealthy while people around them continue to get poorer. Um, and it's also interesting because the whole thing is like, yeah, you take care of your own family and da 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 Like, yeah, whatever. But like they and they're they're they think I feel like on a on a primal stupid lizard brain level, it's like they think they're taking care of their own, and in the short term, and by that I mean a generation or two. Yes, you're 100 percent right. You are. Yeah. But if you think long term, if you think six, seven generations, eight generations down the line, all it's gonna do is fuck you midway, and your legacy, your breed, your whatever, your your family name isn't gonna like. It's not gonna last like that. Whereas if you have a more societal sort of outlook on things and you realize that, you know, if you invest in people, you, you, you will last much longer. And to the point, cause a lot of these countries that he visits, like these, all these good things didn't just spring up overnight. The government wasn't like, Oh yeah, everyone gets this. Yeah. There were, there were governments toppled. There were protests. There yeah. were, you know, people burning themselves alive, like yeah. to make points places. And you know what I find? This is something interesting. Sorry, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but something I wonder, and I'm asking this as a question to our listeners. You can write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or Shahir, you can answer this right now. Do you think, because I've always been, let's talk about protesting for a second. Right. Um, protesting, I never fully. I, very rarely mm. in American history lately, let's yeah. say has have protests done. They've spread awareness, but they don't like, I feel like there's, I don't know. Do you feel like there's too many factions in America because we are kind of a melting pot where like, it's not like just the lower class going against the rich at this point. Like a lot of these things were like, Oh, we weren't getting fair treatment here, that, and the other thing. So the entire country shuts down. All the women don't go to work, yeah. something like that. Da, 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 da. And then the government's like, fuck, we have to do the will of the people. I feel like the will of the people is so poisoned and splintered in America that sort of these protests that everything's people are too, again, it's the American thing we went back to. They're too compartmentalized to do something big enough for the government to be like, oh, fuck. So you could argue in recent American history, uh, the thing that that is closest to what you're describing is Occupy Wall Street. And and the reason Occupy Wall Street failed or didn't, I mean, look. No, no nothing changed. Nothing no, changed. Nothing changed, but Occupy Wall Street did, 
there were some successes of Occupy Wall Street. One is bringing to the forefront the idea of the 99% versus the 1%. Which has done what, though? That's my, that's my thing. I think it's made it part of the American rhetoric. Now, re- remember, ch- like, change for many issues, requ- like, uh, uh, President Obama was on the WTF podcast uh, a few months ago, mm-hmm. uh, Mark Maron's podcast, and he, and he said something interesting, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I see his point, which is that which is that America is not um, a high speed yacht. It it can't it can't tack and change directions very very quickly, right? Without you know without toppling over, it's it's a giant freighter ship, and in order to to make change, you've got to you've got to move it two degrees at a time yep. uh, over generations. So you could argue that um that the occupy wall street it was just like a 1 degree turn which may which which created the rhetoric of the 1% versus the 99%. And I hope that's true, but that's something that it's going to be generationally to figure out. And and the the counter argument which uh I think it it really comes into play if you look at the democratic primaries this year. Um you have uh and this is this is broad categorization. Uh but on the one hand you have Bernie Sanders and on the other hand, you have Hillary Clinton. And the argument I've seen from Bernie, from people who are pro-Bernie, is that he is, in some ways, opting for revolutionary change. He wants to do things in this generation. He wants change to happen immediately. Right. Because for him, it is unreasonable to say that change can't happen, or it's unreasonable to expect people to continue to support a democratic government which doesn't support them and and expect change to happen over generations. It's hard to say to someone who's living now food stamp to food stamp that and, and your kids' kids are going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say your kids' kids' kids are going to be fine, but you know, like make the sacrifice for us now. And then the argument for Hillary Clinton is that she is um, savvy about the way the actual you know the way the Senate and Congress actually runs, and so she can. She can create just not computers, apparently. Yeah, well, well what it, you know, whatever that that whole issue is, but she can she can create incremental change that it'll actually happen. And and so my question is is you know your question about protests, for example. Um, I'm a person who doesn't protest often, and I wonder about whether I I should. Right. Um, in New Zealand, there was a the the last famous protest that happened was around the 1981 Springbok tour. Uh, the uh, South African rugby team were going to come to um, New Zealand to play rugby in 1980. And basically the entire country uh, for, for the most part protested against it because they wanted to make, they wanted to take a stand against anti against apartheid. Okay. Um, and, and as a result, there were riots. The tour got canceled, I believe. And, um, and you know, like we, we'd like to say that, that that cumulative movement helped, in some way, express the outrage against apartheid. Uh, it's a very proud moment for New Zealand, right? Um, and I'm wondering, for my kid, is if he looks back at some of the generational changes, he might look back and say, "Which side of that were you on? Like, mm-hmm. did you do yeah, your yeah. part?" And and I don't know if I did. Uh, I tend to be, but and the reason I don't is I tend to be reserved. Like, um, I'm. I'm, you know, when, when a shooting tragedy happens and everyone changes their Facebook to reflect, you know, to reflect a status change or something like that, I tend to not do that. Um, Same. Uh, I feel like, I, and I don't, I don't want to make a big thing about it. I don't want to say I'm not doing it. I just don't do it. Right. Uh, because I feel like, um, 
you're picking and choosing tragedies and it tends to be about you rather than the tragedy itself. Your your Facebook profile and your, you know, whatever, you know, I, if you if you if that's the way you show support, cool, yeah. but also it's it's a very again, it's very American. It's very you're turning a thing that's not about you unless maybe it is. It's possible that some of these things truly affect these people and whatnot, but 9 times out of 10, if it's about this that and the other thing that you're so separated from but you change your thing, you're making the bad thing or the the thing sort of about you, even if you don't mean to. Yeah. And it's something that like I've again, I, I, I stay away from politics. I stay away from all that stuff on Facebook. I say on this podcast normally, unless we're doing a Michael Moore movie. movie. Yeah. Uh, so like it's just it's but it the, does. It's self-serving. It's it's American. <laughs> but the one example that's in this film that they talk about is in Iceland. Uh, is in Iceland the the women protest? Uh, uh yep. yeah, yeah. The so the historic uh, protest where where ninety percent of women stopped working, uh, in a bid to to create equal rights within the constitution for for Iceland, mm-hmm. and it led to the election of the first female Icelandic prime minister. Um, it, it I think protest. Wo- I think protest is important. Protest works because it's anti-establishment, and if if this like we have to accept. There's a, you know, it's even, I th- no, no, I, I agree. I think protest works hundred percent. I think protest works. I wonder, my original question was, is America currently too splintered and too selfish to actually organize enough or under enough of one banner to actually, other than incrementally get lexicon on the public conscious, et cetera, make change. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, because yeah, like, yeah. because these other places, 90% of women stopped going to work. That's fucking huge. Could you imagine? I couldn't even picture 90% of any group in America doing the same thing at the same time. Well, I think, you know, like the one thing is that there's been a real push to stop that. And I, and I think it happens in, in, in a couple of ways. One is, for example, uh, unionizing in America is really frowned upon. Uh, you know, you even have companies like Walmart, Target, those sorts of places, like who actively fight against unionizing. And that's and that's the like unionizing is the first major form of it's not protest but organizing. Sure, that's you know that's what unionizing. You're fighting is. a large body by becoming a large body. That's, exactly. Yeah. You're 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 coming together. And I think there has been a real pushback against unionizing. Um, which I think has led to this idea of not getting involved in public politics and, you know, protests. The second thing is, I think, you know, like there's even a point in here where they talk about how uh, the American education system has removed civics from its, from its, which is nuts from its, and, and it's become entirely uh, around standardized testing. And, and I think this, this, this active, um, aggressive push against intellectualism around real intellectualism is probably one of the reasons why we don't see American protesting too much these days. You know, it's where people, it's, it's, we're not, we're not savvy. We're not, we're not organized. We don't get angry. We're, we're still placated enough by the Kardashians to, you know, like as long as we're okay. Yeah. And it's so funny because intellectualism, even throughout media is sort of shat upon in a weird way. Like I forget if I've talked about this in the podcast, but friends, have I talked about this example? The, the, the sitcom friends. Yeah. If you look at that character and the tropes that the characters play on that show. Yeah. There's only one person who is consistently shit upon Chandler. Nope. Oh, Ross. Oh, and here's the- why. Okay. So Phoebe's the hippie. Yeah. Uh, Rachel's the self-absorbed one. Chandler's the funny one. Joey's the dummy. Monica's the neurotic one. Yeah. Right. All sort of character flaws. Every one of them has character flaws, but what's Ross's flaw? 
He, now hold on. Yeah, yeah. He no, is we... he is the smart one. He's the one that makes a brainy joke or a joke about paleontology or a science yeah. that he does. And every time there is a joke followed by a laugh track that shits on him. And I'm not saying he's not annoying and doesn't have other faults, but he is only mocked because he's smart. Right. There's a there's there's a cultural touch point to that. Yeah. And I mean you can even see it because in a, in a dumb show like The Big Bang Theory. Sure. Yeah. But also look at what America's number one export is. Television? Image. Image? I would say America's number one Im- export is image. The image of America. Pop culture, the the, mm-hmm. the music and entertainment industry that we do. Yeah. And what is that? We're literally just selling an image of a thing that doesn't quite exist in the same way that we're pitching it. Simulacrum versus simulation. Sure. Yeah. So like... That's our number. That's what people know. I, I, we're, we're America's the greatest propaganda machine ever because it's still going. Yeah. And and, you, you know, like you and I are sitting in a very comfortable apartment in Brooklyn talking about these issues. But mm-hmm. there are there is a poverty and um, uh, of, of a scale that we you and I just don't fundamentally understand. Exactly. And, and it's things it's things like that. Th- this is why I think I know we're kind of going off on broader topics than this film, but that's what this film's meant to do. We could when we will go down a couple more of the list, but like this thing just shines light on problems that we have as a country based on smaller, probably a little less complicated countries you know how they fix them. The France thing about school, the lunches in France, like schools in France, nuts. Cause you look at the slop that kids are served here and they're not learning about nutrition. They're not eating healthy. It's, you know, whatever, but even Michael Moore gives a kid a Coke. that's trying to convince people to drink a Coca-Cola and they're yeah. like, eh, but like, and I, again, it's cherry picking, but it's like cherry picking and there, and there is a clear manipulation on his part of the, of the way that that scene is set up. Of course that kid knows what Coke is. Of course they, of course they know what hamburgers is. McDonald's exists in France. You know, like it's, it's, it's no, no, no. And I understand that, but he's doing it. I think it's again, using a tool of evil for good in this point. Like he's making a, he's using a blunt object because if, if everyone that's telling us awful things, like the, the corporations that are fucking people or the healthcare system or whatever, just, you know, the, 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 whatever nebulous enemy is controlling, whatever is fucking us up. Right. When there's a bunch of them. Yeah. (laughs) If they're using this shit, if they're using this propaganda type way to, to, to get ideas across and it's been working for fucking ever. Yeah. Good on Michael Moore for taking the enemy, using the fucking one ring and trying to turn it around. Now there's a point it might backfire and then it doesn't quite work as well. I think it already has on him, but, but, but again, I would much rather have a flawed Michael Moore than no Michael Moore. Right. Yeah. But like, so the education's like the taxes, how it, it even said in the France thing, how like it breaks down um, in your paycheck where all of your taxes go, right. like specifically to specific organizations. Because if, if we saw on our, how little went to schools versus how much went to whatever, we might be like, ah, uh, yeah. but instead it just says federal and uh, uh, I forget what the second one is. And then, so like, even sex ed, for instance, France is I, number one in sex ed. I have, I mean, and I have a particular thing about this because I, and I, and I really do think that our industry, film and television, sure. has a real part to play in this, in this notion that sex is bad and violence is okay. Yeah. Like if you go on the subway right now, it's uh, July, 2016, you will see uh, billboards up for Jason Bourne pointing a gun at you. There, you will not see posters uh, of two people having sex or, you know, like intimating that they're having sex. You know, we will not see movies that explore that issue as clearly. And on the other side of that is that we are currently in a climate 
of heated debate around gun violence. Yeah. You know, but then if you go down the subway, you're going to see... There's Jason Board pointing a gun at you. Yeah, pointing a gun at you. You know, you're going to see The Rock and Central Intelligence firing two gu- you know, guns in each hand kind of thing. And these are like standard tropes of our entertainment. Um, and, and, you know, and then we have this culture of gun violence that is, that is becoming all the more pervasive now. And maybe it's just that we're seeing, you know, people have cameras now. So we're seeing, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen, uh, multiple police, you know, police shootings plus Mm -hmm. uh, on the other side of it, um, mass shootings. Um, so I, you know, like it's not the, the things that we were talking about earlier, food, taxes, healthcare, uh, education, they're, they're sort of institutional problems, but I think there's a psychological problem that we have as well, uh, where we are being fed material and we are regurgitated and we are only willing to talk about things that we deem acceptable. And, you know, like, yes. And I just find it so funny that we're, we're a country that, or, that was formed based on people leaving something that they thought will it's interesting. This is what I always love about in textbooks. Fuck most history classes that I had growing up because yeah. it's all fucking wrong. Like, but the Colum- whole thing, the whole thing we're taught. I'm not even again to fucking genocide Captain Columbus. I'm yeah. talking about uh, the pilgrims left uh, England because they were England was too controlling. Yeah. Uh, no, the pilgrims left because England didn't figure into their like the, the pilgrims were more bolted down than the rest of England and they didn't fit in there anymore. So we have this huge sexually repressed population (laughs) coming over here causing a genocide. So instantly from the birth of our nation and this movie does something interesting with that too because it talks about how Germany is is doing lots of things like I always thought for whatever reason that like Germany ever talked about the Nazis anymore. That's just probably the the one family guy sketch that you saw. Maybe. But like instead Germany teaches all about it. They make sure everyone knows about their fucking dark history three generations ago. Well that's actually recent as well I think and and I would question the validity of 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 how how much that actually happens. Um, But it happens enough. It happens enough, and I and I down to the plates in front of the houses that like this is where the Jewish family, the Jewish family who used to own this before you did, this is their name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Before they were taken away from their homes. Yeah. Here, kids aren't taught, and again, every country has blood on yeah. its hands, and I, I, any the, Western colonized country, yeah, sure. The but like you're taught that like Columbus came over here, and then the pilgrims and whatever had Thanksgiving, and you know whatever, but you're not taught. It doesn't. Talk you about you don't know about the Trail of Tears. No, you know, no, until you get to college. Yeah, and I think it's important, even from a young age. And apparently, in other countries, they do this. The bad shit they talk about, because again, it's that I hate the the idiom, but it's like if you don't teach history, history correctly, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. So it's like that's another thing we have this we have this mentality, and this movie does shine a light, even if it's a fucking blinding one, a little too strong, and yeah. uh, towards a direction. We have this mentality here that like we're the fucking best woo we can do no wrong yeah. when all we've done 90% of the time is wrong again to air is human or whatever. And remember, you've got a uh, there is the the primary Republican candidate this year whose name I will not mention for he shall not be named. Sauron? Uh, <laughs> pretty oh, shit. much, um, you know, is running on this platform of make America great again. And I, and, and, you know, and there was a woman who wrote, who had a, who wore a cap that said America was never great. And she was like, I think she was almost fired from her job or something like that recently. And, you know, it's that, it's that thing, which is like, 
Okay, let's let's break down Make America Great Again. When, when exactly are we talking about? Are we talking about the 1960s? Because if you're talking about America being great again, you are not an African-American. Right. You are, well, you know, this movie if you're does... Talking about Amer- if you're talking about the 1920s, you're not an African-American, you're not a Hispanic, you're not... You're not a woman. Yeah, you're not a woman. You know, like, so which part of America being great again are we talking about? And, and this this movie goes into a great thing in, in Norway and Portugal a little bit about drugs and the prison system and how I, I, and I never put two and two together. And like, again, this is why I think movies like this is important, because I, I knew both of these things that I'm going to reference existed, but I never put together the cultural reference. And maybe it's a little too pointed. Uh, the civil rights movement. Yeah. And the war on drugs. If you're interested in that topic, uh, the uh, the. The documentary, uh, the house I live in, or the house we live in, uh, on Netflix. Okay, is an ex- it basically goes into that the That's exact great. topic. Yeah, like so. The second that the civil rights movement happened, and then uh, you know, African Americans started getting you know shit done for them, and that's good. Various powers stepped in and started this war on drugs, which targeted them. Yeah, like and and it's just another form of like whatever, and. So Portugal, for instance, doesn't arrest people for using drugs, which I've always, even when I was in D.A.R.E., where you, oh, you weren't here. Right. D- oh, D- 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 D.A.R.E., the D.A.R.E. Yeah. program, which was, was a huge fucking failure, by the way. There was a, uh, the D.A.R.E. program existed in New Zealand. Did it? Uh, yeah. Listen, I, we had cops come and do the D.A.R.E. program at my school, and the cops were very nice, and I, 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 I appreciate their time. Yeah. But the D.A.R.E. program itself was such a fucking crock of shit. Yeah. Like, the the whole thing, and I've always thought this since I was an adolescent, it's like you're just fucking you and the direct people up around you based on the amount of drug uses if you're doing it to the point of where it damages you. Right. It's not something that people should be like people shouldn't be locked up for fucking possessing a, 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 an exor- like a, a, a mediocre amount of a thing, even if it, that thing's fucking black tar heroin. Like, well, it, they, you know, they talked about, uh, you know, like heroin basically being a way to criminalize the Asian population because it was brought in, you know, opiates were brought in by the Asian, you yep. know, by Asian workers who were brought here to, to work. There's even recently in uh, like a few years ago, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, John Ehrlichman, who uh, was Nixon's chief advisor mm-hmm. uh, said this literally. So, you know, we've talked about like the connection between the war on drugs and the criminalization of minorities in sure. America. This is what he, this is what he actually said. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to either be against the war or, or, or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies and marijuana and blacks with heroin, then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt these communities. This is Nixon's top advisor talking about what the war on drugs is really about. And then for the next 20 years, the next 20 years... Indoctrination! You, you have children, you know, like basically... And and you there was a there's even another comparison where... Uh, crack cocaine was criminalized much harsher than than ordinary white cocaine, you know, powder cocaine. Uh, and you could, and there was a direct co- connection there, which is that crack cocaine was predominantly cheaper and affordable in minority communities, mm-hmm. and cocaine was snorted by um, white partygoers or you know people who want, and they would not get as harsh a penalty. Yep. But but the dis- distinction between crack cocaine and powder cocaine is literally one process. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's you it's impossible at this point to suggest that racism doesn't exist. Well, of course, yeah. And 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 is institutionalized in America. The thing is too, and again, I guess straight white man card. Yeah. Uh I feel like just societally this shit was 
ingrained in me in a way. And I, and I, and I, you know, everyone, there's that funny, I forget who says it, but like everyone's a little bit racist, right? Oh yeah, everyone's a little bit racist. And uh, I think, and I personally, being a brown person, I kind of think racism has a value. <laughs> sure. But what I'm saying is like, I'll think something, and it doesn't happen often, but enough where I'm, and then I'll be like, no, to me, I say this in my head. I'm like, no, dummy. Like you're, that's mm. fucking, that's a racist. Like it, mm. I'm, I'm glad that I have enough self-awareness to see the amount of indoctrination that I went through. Yeah. And I'm act, I'm trying to actively sort of fight against it. Yeah. And I think again, I, I don't want to keep praising Michael Moore and his films. Cause there are, it, again, I keep using it. So he's using the weapon, the evil weapon of the enemy. He took Skeletor's Havoc staff and now he's just <laughs> fucking trying to use it for Eternia. Uh, but wouldn't it be amazing if, if, because, because I feel like that, that indoctrination happened over generations to get, to get all of us at this point. And I'm, I'm guilty of it as well, without a doubt. Um, wouldn't it be amazing for, you know, this is the John Lennon song, you know, like imagine, uh, you know, like, wouldn't it be amazing if it wasn't actually part of our DNA anymore? Like if it wasn't. Yeah. And hopefully, and this is the other thing too. Someone brings us up in this movie. The, the, we invented the greatest, I think it was in Portugal. Uh, we, the America invented the greatest weapon and that's the fucking internet. Yeah. And you're seeing this, you're seeing this slowly happen, but it, it, there's two bad parts. That's the thing. When people come together, it's interesting because you realize that you're a global community, but the bad part is you can also sort of seg uh, segregate your own groups on the internet yourself and sort of get in that sort of like echo chamber. Echo chamber, and that's a bad thing. But like, and then the other bad thing is that corporatization of the internet has already happened. Sure. You know, like it's it's so so it's just it's it can happen. It's just we're not doing it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel I've I personally, and this is a this is a target at myself. I feel I am too placated by how easy my life can be if I don't think about things. Right. You know what I mean? And I think and I think the the thing that I have to we have to consider is is that in a generation or two generations or three generations somebody will ask where was your grandfather when this happened? Hopefully. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> Hopefully they do ask that. But if the country <laughs> is going the route that it's going and say it still survives? Yeah. People aren't going to be worried about what their grandparents thought. People aren't going to be worried about the, what their parents think. People are going to be too worried about whatever fucking social media thing is current. And it's going to be just about them, 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 the individual. That's the scary part. Yeah. And I, I, I think the only way change fundamentally happens is like the Iceland, you know, like I didn't know about the Iceland, uh, woman, woman's protest. Yeah. I, I'd never heard no, of that before. I had neither um, or the comedian. The comedian in Iceland who started a political party called the best party as a joke. And people were so fed up with the actual government that they voted him in. But you got to you got to remember recently as well. The Iceland prime minister stepped down after the revelation of the Panama Papers linked him to a particular account. So yes. it's, you know, like, again, while Michael Moore is picking at little things that happened there, you know, this is there is corruption. There are problems. There are nuances that that Michael Moore doesn't. Because because he's trying and to... And I will say, most every documentary does the same thing. Just Michael Moore is, like, heavy-handed. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he's, tr he's trying to... He's trying to paint a big picture. And that big picture is that we should start thinking about a lot of these small things that America sort of has basically backslid away from if we ever had it to begin with. And, it, you know, like... The prison system. I don't want to... We're running out of time, but, like, they, they talk about prison systems in different cultures and how it... It, it should be about rehabilitation, not revenge. And not revenge. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 the, and, and, and business. The business of prisons. The, I've been... 
I've been watching again. I know it's a uh, comedy slash drama, but Orange is the New Black, and this season there's a heavy thing about the corporatization of the prison system and how it's just about fucking money. They go to they go to ConCon or whatever the hell in the thing. It's a convention for prison systems. Yeah, nuts. Um, it's crazy, and I you know like it it's it makes me sad, and I feel like I'm not doing enough to address it. But a lot of times I feel helpless. Like I'm like I'm not a person who would like go you know, hunker down at Occupy Wall Street for three weeks. But that's what needs to happen is like, it's not just like the fringe elements. It's not just like the the students that need to go down to Occupy Wall Street and, and hunker down. Occupy Wall Street succeeds when everybody buys in. Right. And so that, I, that was my initial thing from the beginning. It's yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know if the country is, it's, that's the problem is everything's too splintered. Yeah. Group wise. Splintered. I don't think we're, we believe in it enough. I don't think we're, I think we don't, we believe the problems are too big. And I, and I think, it, you know, like interestingly, it comes down to this thing in, in this election, which is, you know, uh, and just on the Democratic primary, you know, Hillary versus Bernie. And, I, and again, it's not even though that's kind of over, it's kind of over now. But but, the you know, like I think the fundamental question is, do you want change incrementally or do you want change now? And and I think one candidate sort of was on the change now thing, but, but was, were, you know, like the question that Mark that was being raised there was, could that candidate actually implement the change that sure. they were talking about? And the other one is talking about incremental change, which I think is less, you know, like change. We might not see change now. We're just going to see more of the status quo. Yeah. Um, I don't know. At the end of this film, I felt, and I think this was the point sort of like a, kind of bad to be an American and I never have I ever been like <laughs> never have I ever mm-hmm. uh, been like ever thought about like moving or not doing like you know whatever but like this was just like there's so much wrong and the wrap up the wrap up of this film it, it, it harkens back to the Wizard of Oz which is a is a cheap shot yeah, sort of I, thing uh, but <sighs> I mean I don't think that Again, I don't think this is as effective or like, for example, I think Baldwin for Columbine is a more effective piece of propaganda. I think this is a, a fairly. This was pretty effective for me. I'm not going to lie. OK. Uh, again, you, you have to sort of see the, the, the weapon that's being used against you uh, in this film. I, I, I It know. taught me a lot, even though it was from one side of a thing. But 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 you know what I liked about this movie? This is what it is. Yeah. I liked it. Yes, of course, it's all one-sided. Yeah, but even if it's one-sided, you see there's a problem. Yeah, I think again, I I, I think it comes down to that. You know, just just the statistic about paternity leave. Two countries in the world that don't have it, and yeah. it's not a case of like, oh, everybody else is doing, it, we should have it. We we know that paid paternity leave helps people, helps people and society in general. So yeah. Shahir. This film, would you recommend it to a person? Huh. That's a that's a really good question. I I think it's a good primer for uh for a number of issues. And I think I think I would recommend it to the right person as just an alternative viewpoint. Is it effective? I think for people who know this stuff already, it's probably just gonna seem like a uh yeah, okay. I, no, we knew Which that. to me I didn't know a lot of it. Right. I, I but you know, like there are people I know who I guess haven't been made aware of this sort of issue. And I think for them, it would be great. Um, there are other films, like I, one of my favorite um, social movement documentaries is The Corporation, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, The corporation is amazing. And I think the corporation does a really terrific job of using empirical data to break things down. I think, you know, it's cliche to say, but read Noam Chomsky. Like Noam Chomsky is, is a personal hero of mine because not only is he a person who is committed to data, to collecting data and to actually, you know, like trying to affect change through data and through intellectualism, he has, you know, like he has stood at protest. He's sure. a person who has actually gone out and made change. Uh, this is all coming from a dude who is lazy as fuck. So, right. so for whatever that's worth, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So, I, so yes, then as a primer, you'd recommend it, but not I, for someone who's like deep into these issues. You'd be like, yeah, dummy. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would recommend it. I think it's, again, it's a really good jumping off point. And, and yeah, it, it, hopefully it would make people sort of start doing some research. I'm going to look into some of these things because I, I actually didn't have time before we did this podcast, but I, I already started Googling like, okay, what, what what's the truth behind some of this stuff? Like, yeah. I want to know why, like the, the, the I want to learn the dark underbelly of things next to the niceties. Yeah. Um, just cause I'm interested now and that can't be a bad thing. No. So I would recommend it um, to people to see. Uh, you can get it on on demand. You could rent it from iTunes and and you know Amazon and wherever fine digital it's, products it's are sold. It's worth a watch. It yeah. is. It is worth a watch, despite what everything I said. Anyway, that uh, this has been the only podcast about where to invade next. Shahir, when you're not invading the human psyche, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D. You can hit us up at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Please do drop us iTunes reviews. Uh, we know we've been getting more, more and more fans and comments recently. Uh, if you really want to support us, uh, an iTunes review really helps us out. Um, Matt, where can we find you? You can find me at Matthew Kroll, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L dot com for my life and works or Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, I'm active on our Facebook page. We're going to be doing some stuff there. And if you find, if you want to find us in person, if you want to Pokemon go us and collect <laughs> us, you got to catch both of us all. Uh, you can actually come and see a live version of this podcast at PAX West uh, this September 2nd at 6 p.m. at the Sphinx Theater. We're going to be doing something called called getting good G-U-D uh, at video game movies. And we're going to do a big discussion with me, Shahir, Red Charzan, and James Portnow, friends of the show, uh, that are basically going to talk about video game movies, how they can be made better if they've actually made a good one yet, yada, yada, yada. We're going to do some a whole bunch of fun stuff we're still figuring out. So come see us there if you're in the Seattle area. It's going to be exciting. We got I got I got to play a lot of video games and I got to do some research. Oh, no. There. It's going to I'm going to provide the esoteric the horror oh, yeah hopefully intellectualized version although i'm just a big dummy so no i know no it'll be good hopefully in our generation and for your son in particular shahir we can figure at least 10 percent of this shit out before it actually starts to affect him in a negative way i you know what are we gonna do? Uh, uh. guys we'll see you next week thanks for listening uh.